finally some level of conclusion on this situation of the upcoming harvest. You know, there's been this big question. How is the upcoming fruit harvest in Washington State? And between all the berries here on the west side and the apples and the pears and the cherries and the you name it, peaches, vegetables, the list could go on for a long time over in eastern Washington. There's a lot of things to be harvested in this state in um, the next few months. And with the pressure of the coronavirus pandemic and the need to protect people from, you know, getting sick, from spreading the illness, how is that harvest? How are those harvests going to to occur? We've been talking about this uh, pretty much every week for the last while on the program as some activists decided to jump into this situation and paint a false picture that farms weren't doing anything to protect their workers and then clamoring for the state to step in and and do something about it. Now, the truth is, as we've reported here and as we have further evidence um, on the website for my day job, safefamilyfarming.org, that's not the case. Farms have been doing a lot to protect their workers. Welcome back, by the way. This is Dylan Honkoop here on The Farming Show on KGMI News Talk 790. Farmers have been doing a lot. And ultimately, the things that the activists were calling for to, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, protect the workers would have harmed workers far worse um, than anything that they were suggesting as a protection. It could have meant no housing for a lot, thousands of temporary farm workers that rely on that housing. It could have meant people losing their jobs and it could have meant an awful lot of food waste, uh, harvest going to waste without workers being able to be there to to harvest it, farms going out of business. I mean, the, the things that they were asking for, again, as we've explained here on the program, were beyond the pale, just nonsensical as far as harming the workers, harming our food supply at a time when it's so important. Thankfully, it looks like that worst case scenario is not going to happen. You know, and it ended up with a lawsuit that we've explained here on the program. Uh, by the way, you can find the Save Family Farming Show on SoundCloud if you want to go for back episodes and get caught up on some of the things that we've talked about on this saga to get to this point. Um, but there was a lawsuit from the activists. They ended up kind of having to pull back from that. Uh, but in the meantime, the state had stepped in with their own rules, and those own ru- the, the, the state's own rules would have caused a bunch of problems uh, for farm workers and for farms. Um, now the state has kind of backed away from that as well. Granted, there will still be many challenges ahead, and this is not all roses at this point, but thankfully it sounds like we have something um, that would allow the harvest to at least move forward. Pam Lewison, uh, with the Initiative on Agriculture at the Washington Policy Center, joins us. Pam has been following this all along. Kind of sort of a, a compromise um, solution here. Pam, explain where we're at with, with the, the rules that the state finally came out with, the emergency rules they finalized this week. So this week, um, there's been some updates as you mentioned Dylan there's a couple of different things happening first uh, the state came out with their emergency rules for housing in particular and what that looks like is um, that bunk beds as we've um, you know been following along in particular about bunk beds will be allowed in temporary worker housing 
uh, as long as uh, there is a, a head-to-toe sleeping arrangement in those bunk beds, meaning uh, one person is one direction, the other person is the other. Uh, if if you um, don't have bunk beds in your worker housing, beds will have to be pa- spaced at least six feet apart in all directions. So uh, you have some roomy uh, um, bed spacing in in um, worker housing as well, um, and uh, there's some other uh, safety precautions that will have to be put in place as, as part of those housing rules. Um, those rules are up on both the DOH and LNI websites, um, so anyone with worker housing can look them up and see what those rules are and how to follow them. Um, technically, those rules go into effect Monday, the 18th, and um, they have to have those plans filed and in place by the 28th of this month. So that gives essentially 10 days for farmers to um, get those all of those um, housing plans in place, uh, both on paper and filed with uh, Department of Health and LNI, and also implemented on their farms and in their housing units. So it's a it's a quick turnaround while they're also trying to get ready for harvest. Um, but I think it's doable. Um, it's it's a good compromise solution to keep workers safe while they are um, being housed as promised. There's the the lawsuit is technically still open. Um, the Skagit County judge has retained jurisdiction, which is sort of a fancy legal way of saying that um, they're they're waiting for a little bit more action from um, from the governor's office about um, guidelines for transportation and workplace safety. So the governor's office has said that they are going to um, impose rules about how how those two other functions are going to occur. And uh, until uh, those rules are announced, the lawsuit will remain open. That seems weird to me. Like, what? Like they're going to maintain jurisdiction like they're going to continue to. Isn't that? Isn't that the role of the executive branch of government, not the judicial branch of government? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm, I'm not entirely certain how that all plays out. But I, I think what the judge is really trying to do is um, just be kind of middle of the road and, and give some assurance that, um, there's, that there are steps being made in the right direction, either direction. I'd say at, as much as we want to think that the judicial process is separate from politics, it, I think it's still a part of that world. And the judge probably does not want to appear like he's doing anything ruling against farm workers because, you know, the public wants to see that folks are protected. And, and that makes sense. Uh, it's sad because in in some cases ruling against this would be would have been of course now it it was moot because the housing issues were taken out of it but ruling uh, against these wrongheaded requests or demands would have been a ruling in favor of farm workers but certainly would have been spun the opposite way of that um, by the activists who have the publics here on on uh, saying that they're protecting farm workers again we're talking with Pam Lewison she's the director of the initiative on agri 
agriculture with the Washington Policy Center. She's been following this situation uh, since the beginning. What, what I'm feeling uh, with this right now, Pam, is that I, I'm thankful that they seem to be somewhat recognizing the positive th- in, in these rules, recognizing and in, in implementing some of the positive things to protect workers that farms have already been doing, particularly with this issue of... Um, crew isolation, um, and 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 again, the, there's this misnomer that farmers have been doing nothing. Well, they have been dealing with this all along. They've already had a lot of these things in place. They haven't been sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for the state to rule on this. As much as as the activist groups like Community to Community, uh, Familias Unidas. La Justicia, UFW would want um, people to believe that farmers are not going to do anything until this rule is in place. It's just simply not true. Um, really, this rule kind of endorses the things that we've already been hearing farmers are doing in house. Right. I think there, I do think that's, um, I think there's a, this, this, uh, I think misnomer is a, a good way to put it. I think there's this uh, misinterpretation about what um, farmers are doing or not doing. Um, to protect their workers. And the, the truth is that, um, that farmers are, um, one, very aware that um, worker safety is a priority. If you're going to the trouble of hiring employees, um, whether on an H-2A visa or even from, um, you know, the local work pool such as it is, mm-hmm. it's important to prioritize their health and safety uh, because ultimately you're relying on them to help your business continue to function. And um, if, you're, <laughs> if, if you're any sort of um, business owner at all, you're figuring out a way to prioritize, um, to prioritize that health and safety to the best of your ability based on the, the availability of resources and also um, what you're able to provide, um, whether that's you know, homemade cloth masks, um, sanitization stations that, you know, to the best of the resources you have, um, or even in housing, you know, maybe that means you're trying to provide different ventilation systems or, um, you know, you're spacing those beds out, whatever you need to do to try and make sure that your workers feel safe and comfortable because, because you need them. And um, and you're appreciative of having them. I I think a lot of farmers do this just because it's the right thing to do, and they truly care Mm -hmm. about people. Uh, But even beyond that, they don't want sick. Having workers get sick is a terrible situation for the farm Mm -hmm. as well. So, like you said, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. um, to suggest that farms don't care uh, about how you know safe workers are from this pandemic. Well, and I do, I do think that what struck me most is that um, in listening to the hearing that was earlier this week, um, there's, there is also this strange um, hang up about nomenclature and, mm. you know, guidelines versus rules and that somehow changing a guideline and turning it into a rule is, is going to um, create a change of heart somehow. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's... Farmers in, will in, only follow it if it's a rule, not if it's right, a guideline. Right. Yes. And and no community is without bad actors. And I think bad actors should be weeded out of every community, whether it's farming or yeah. any other. Yeah. 
Um, and if you, you know, if you're a bad actor, I, I absolutely believe that you should be, you know, strung up and punished for, <laughs> for not following the rules yeah. um, or guidelines such as they may be. Um, but having, you know, having this push that it should be changed from a guideline to a rule is not going to suddenly inspire a change of heart in someone who isn't following a guideline. True. If you're not following True. the guidelines, you're not suddenly going to perk up and say, oh, well, now that it's a rule, I have to follow it. Whether it's a rule or a guideline yeah. should not matter. What should matter is that as good stewards of not just our farms, but also just good people and good employers, we should care about the person next to us. And that means doing the best we can to ensure the health and safety of every single person around us. Yeah, but when we know the real reason for these groups going after these things is not truly about protecting people, it's more about their political aspirations, how they want to grow their groups, how they want to profit from workers' paychecks, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then it starts to make sense. They're looking mm -hmm. for any crack here that they can continue to play politics with, which is why they say, well, guidelines aren't good enough. And, and because they say guidelines aren't good enough, that means without specific rules, if they're only guidelines and not rules, like you're talking about the semantics of mm -hmm. this, then they'll say, well, workers are totally unprotected. Well, no, they aren't. Whether it does, semantics don't protect workers. Uh, you know, whether they're guidelines or rules, actual practices to protect them are what protect workers. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's what we need to focus on. And it's sad that, that those groups, I'm hearing they're continuing to complain about um, this solution, saying it's not nearly enough um, and that workers are being left high and dry by the state um, in, in the rule that they put out here. Mm -hmm. I And I, I find that um, a little disingenuous, to be honest. I think that what the state is trying to do is find a middle ground where farmers can continue to function and get um, a, as full a harvest as possible off and keep people safe at the same time. And I do think that that's possible uh, in, in the rule that we have. I'll be curious to see what happens with the rulemaking um, as it relates to the workplace safety and the transportation. Uh, but I think that the housing rule is a good compromise. It's a good middle ground to make sure that workers who've been hired under the premise that they do in fact have somewhere to live when yeah. they arrive yeah. and um, that that place is safe and secure. Uh, it it yeah. gives them that. How absolutely that's, that's important. Yeah. How absolutely unfair would that have been to them? Um, and and we're thankful here at Safe Family Farming that the governor and his state agencies have said no to these extremist groups' demands that would have been so harmful to these workers mm -hmm. and left them without the best housing options, most protective housing options available to them for this harvest. Again, we're talking with Pam Lewison with the Washington Policy Center. Almost out of time. What are you hearing? Uh, Reaction from around the farming community to these these emergency rules. Now I, I'm hearing people are still worried about the challenge of implementing them. I, albeit glad that the, at least this is something within the realm of possibility, but it's not like this is going to be easy. I, you know, I I haven't heard much of a reaction, and that could just be because I just haven't, and they're very yeah. new. Um, I I think that the you know, the, the, if there's an issue with implementing the housing rules, 
it will be in procuring the supplies. Um, so one of the, the caveats to some of the rules is that um, with the bunk bed spacing, you have to have plexiglass or some other non-permeable barrier between the beds mm. um, at a perpendicular angle, meaning essentially that when you have two bunk beds, you have to have a plexiglass barrier between them. Um, uh, plexiglass in some cases is something you can run to the hardware store and get in other cases it's not. Yeah. So that poses, you know, potentially a challenge, um, you know, especially if you're not to the hardware first, hardware store first. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody get a couple semi truck loads of plexiglass headed this way stat. Yeah. uh, So to help build, uh, even though I, I understand some, facilities have already built all this stuff out in anyway Mm -hmm. yeah i mean some folks have already done this you know they're mindful that this is something that you know potentially is helpful um but some have not and you know uh, similarly there's the need to build these kinds of barriers between sinks in bathrooms and um, you know, to create these other barriers elsewhere throughout these living spaces. And as, you know, as stores have um, erected similar barriers and restaurants have done, you know, the same thing at drive through windows and those sorts of things, yeah. um, you know, whether there's a shortage or not, I don't know. But there, there may be something of a, um, a, pr- a problem with getting some of those supplies. And if, if there's a, any sort of issue, I think that would be it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, I would think that your turnaround time to actually getting in there and getting that stuff built and put in place should be relatively minor. Um, I, it's, it's more just the logistics of having to yeah. take someone away from other things that absolutely need to be done during this time of year as well to shift their focus to this other thing that absolutely needs to be done for safety purposes. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Thank you for the update on what's happened with this. Um, And we appreciate all the the research that you've done on this issue uh, throughout. Pam Lewison uh, with us this morning here on The Farming Show. Uh, She is with the Washington Policy Center, and she's the director of their Initiative on Agriculture. Pam, thanks for your time. Well, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it.